Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And as Jeannie mentioned, we're so glad that you're here on a historic day today uh, as we start uh, gathering four times on a Sunday. And again, we are so grateful for those of you who are in overflow. We love you and we're so glad that you're here. And uh, I am excited as well to kick off this new series, Weapons of Self-Destruction. I think uh, it's pretty... Uh, uh, interesting that we would kind of talk about this kind of stuff at church. The truth be told, though, I don't think we talk about this stuff enough. I don't think we talk about this stuff enough in our lives. So for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be talking about, specifically next week, we're going to talk about the, the weapon of fear and what that can do to, to actually cause great harm and damage to our lives. Then we're going to look at the weapon of comparison and how nobody wins when we compare ourselves to others. And then we're going to look at the weapon of shame and how that can steal the joy away from your life and ultimately keep you from the identity, the person that God created you to be. But this week, we're also going to have a really fun and exciting topic that we're talking about as well. See, that's a joke because those were heavy things. And so I wanted to help you understand we get that they're heavy, but we actually want God's truth and God's love to speak joy and light into these places. Because this week, we're going to be talking about our past. We're going to look at our past and what that has to do with our story. A few things in our lives have the power to sabotage our present and hijack our future like our past. A few things in your life have the power to sabotage, to take over your present moment and to hijack, to keep you from your future, than an undealt with past. And consequently, also, conversely, I should say, few things in our lives, few things in our lives have the power to actually draw us to God in the present moment and help us walk with him into the future he has for us than our past. See, our past has this incredible power and potential to either sabotage and hijack our lives or to bring us to a deeper place with God so that we can walk more closely with him throughout our lives. Your past is such an important part of your relationship with God and such an important part to your story. And so what we're going to do over the course of our time today is invite God into our story. We're going to open up the book, as it were, to our life and invite God into maybe the places we haven't paid much attention to or maybe the places we've been paying too much attention to in our past and ask God to help us co-author a great story with him. Now, a couple years ago, I realized in my life that I had a surprising lack of good stories in my life. I read a lot, but I wasn't reading enough good stories. I read a lot of books on life with God, on the soul, leadership, creativity, all this kind of stuff. I had a stack of books that I would read and listen to, and, but I realized there was a, a real lack of good stories in my life. I wasn't reading any fiction. And so I kind of made a commitment to myself, you know, in the course of this next year, I want to read four pieces of fiction. I'm going to read four works of fiction just to help get some good stories in my life, because there was a huge lack of that for me. What I didn't realize over the course of the next two years from that moment, that goal that I made to read four in one year, is that I would actually end up reading 18 pieces of fiction over 24 months. 18 books of fiction. Now, you may be thinking, wow, what a scholar and a gentleman. <laughs> he, he pours into the classics that have shaped our collective consciousness. And I would love if that were true, but that would actually be fiction too. Because what I ended up reading over the course of two years was nothing but teen fiction. <laughs> Friends, 
If it's going to get real and we're going to be honest with God, it starts with me. And for me, it started with the Hunger Games. And I plowed through them, and that wasn't enough. And then I read through the whole Divergent series, and that wasn't enough. And then I read through all kinds. I found all kinds of the Champion series, the Legend series. I found a hundred books. I found all these things. I'm currently reading a book called Cinder, which is, again, I am obsessed for some reason with teen <laughs> fiction. <laughs> now, I know I'm gonna, we're going to talk about another book this morning. We're going to get to this, but I know for some of you, all you're going to hear is this, and you're going to want to talk to me afterwards about what I've read and what my favorites are, and we can all do that in good time. I just need to draw a line, though, and let you know, because uh, several people have asked, did I read in that process of devouring teen fiction, did I read the Twilight series? And I just need to let you know, hey, I may be a grown man reading teen fiction, but I got to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> and so Twilight was out. I refused to read that. So... We can talk about that afterwards and have a theological debate about Twilight. <laughs> Here's what I found after reading 20 books over the course of 24 months of this kind of genre of teen fiction. Here's what I found. Plots are all basically the same. Same basic kind of plot structure for every one of these books. And multiple books in the series are usually written in a series of three or so books. You can kind of, you know, look at, hop at any one of these books and kind of get the gist of the story. But all the characters are very, very unique and all the settings are very, very, very different. And so imagine if I came to any one of these books and I said, I I'm just going to kind of pick up in the middle and take it from there. Well, I'd be greatly confused, wouldn't I? Trying to finish a book that I hadn't really started yet. I wouldn't understand why, how we got here, where the tension is, who these characters are, why they're fighting against this for, what, what's the story here? And similarly, if I were to take any one of these books and start reading it and get to like the third or fourth chapter and go, that was a great book and kind of put it back. Many of you actually read books that way and that's great. That's fine. But if I were to just get about a third of the way through and say, wow, that really is a great story. Guess what I've missed? The story, the whole story. And yet when it comes to the story of our lives, what I've found at least to be true is that we tend to take one of two approaches when it comes to the past, the part of our story that lies in the past. I think many of us, when it comes to our past, what we try and do is just forget it. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have a huge effect on me. So we just kind of tear pages out of our past and never go back to them again. I don't need to worry about, you know, that divorce. That was years ago. Or that was my parents' divorce. And how could that possibly affect my relationships today? I don't need to worry about this lifelong struggle that I've had. How could that possibly have any sort of effect on my life, my work, my relationships now? I don't need to worry about, you know, kind of this broken relationship from my past that I still kind of am loosely connected to. That's kind of in the past. Those things are in the past. That addiction's in the past. That struggle's in the past. Those relationships are in the past. And they don't really matter to the rest of the story, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. Some of us try really hard to just forget the past, what happened, happened, and let's move on. But you are missing the greater story. Now, some of us, when it comes to our past, are stuck in our past. And when it comes to the pages in our future, our assumption is the first third of the book is all we get. I'll never be free. I'll never find love. I'll never be whole. And what we do is we basically tear out pages from our future because we are stuck in living out the 
habits and the patterns of our past. We live in regret over our past. We find ourselves saying these words over and over again, if only, if only, if only I had done this, if only this hadn't happened. Some of us tear the pages out of our past because we want to forget it. Some of us are tearing pages out of our future because we're so stuck in regret over what has happened in the past. But anytime you do either one of those, what you are missing is the whole story, the greater story for your life. And so what we want to do over the next couple moments is imagine what it might be like for us to actually invite God into the whole of our story. See, here's the thing. All of us view our pasts differently. You view yours differently than I view mine. We all have different past, you know, different stories, different experiences that brought us here. You already know that. We all have different pasts and all have different approaches to our past. But there is one thing that actually unites every single one of us. We all actually have a past. You wouldn't technically be here if you didn't have a past. You have a story. And so the question is, do you know it? Have you invited God into it because there's something about your past, what got you here, that is vitally important to the rest of your story. And there's something about your past that is very important to God. In fact, there is something about your past that only God can do, and God, this is good news for you, longs to do with your past in this present moment to help you co-author a better story with him in your future. And so what I want us to do for the next few moments is to look at how do we do that? How do we stop carrying around the weapon of our past and either think it has no power in our lives or give it too much power in our lives? How do we invite God into the greater story so we can stop tearing pages out of our past or out of our future and live fully into the life that God actually has for us. So we're going to look at a teaching from the Bible. So I'm going to ask you if you would to grab a Bible. If you brought one, great. If not, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Don't worry, I'm not going to tear any pages out of this book. Some of you got a little nervous there for a second. You can open to, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll let you know just in the blue Bibles, it's page 808. So you can kind of just fast track to there, 808. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at what we do with our past and what we want God to do with our past and what God is willing to do with your past, your past right now in this present moment so that you can actually co-author a better future with him. Can I give you a little context to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Let me kind of let you know what we're coming into because anytime you open up the Bible, you're stepping into a greater story, into a greater narrative and into context that's specific to the teaching that you're about to receive. So let me just give you the quick context. This is a letter written from the Apostle Paul. Paul was actually a leader in the first century church, the very first church, one of the greatest leaders in all of church history, wrote about half of the New Testament. This is a letter that he was writing to a church in the city of Corinth. And in this, at this particular moment in the letter, he's kind of letting them in to a part of his story that he doesn't like. He talks about a thorn in his flesh. This is kind of coming right before the verses we're about to read. He talks about this thorn in this in his flesh, this annoying thorn in his flesh. And it's not a literal, actual thorn, as you know. It's this idea, this metaphor for this pain in his life. Thorn in the flesh. You ever heard that phrase before? Maybe you've heard someone say, oh, that person or my boss is just a thorn in my side. You ever heard someone say that? Just a thorn in my side. You ever heard anyone say, every rose has a thorn? (laughs) 
That actually has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I just wanted to see if I can get you on track there. All right, good. So Paul's talking about this metaphorical pain in his life, this annoying pain in his life. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. Now, many theologians throughout the years have tried to speculate on what this actual thorn in his flesh may have been. Some believe that it was an actual physical ailment. Specifically, that it was partial blindness, that he suffered from partial blindness. And he's a guy that was writing letters to churches all over the known world. And that can be a very painful and frustrating thing to lose your sight as you're trying to communicate the story of God to others. Others thought that it was actual spiritual attack on his life, a demonic attack on his life. So that many people think that's what he's referring to about this thorn in his flesh. Still others think that it was a specific person or a small group of people known as the Judaizers. And let me just give you a little context so you understand this part of the story. There's a group of people who refused to accept the idea of grace. They built their lives on what we do to earn God's favor. Now, what's interesting about this is that's actually what Paul had built his life on before he met Jesus. He meets Jesus and Jesus frees him and saves him from religion and invites him into relationship with God. And so some scholars and theologians believe that what he's referring to is a person who shows up everywhere Paul is at and verbally and sometimes violently oppresses him. He has an annoying relationship, or even in this case, uh, a relationship that's out to get him. Now, I don't know exactly what the thorn in his flesh is. I don't know specifically what it was for Paul, but I do know this. We all have them, don't we? Those kind of annoying things in our lives that just get under our skin and we can't seem to shake and they affect us. And sometimes they are very, very, very painful. Sometimes they're just an annoying presence of pain and things as they're not supposed to be, or at least not how we would have them be. So Paul's talking about this thorn in his flesh. And look at his desire for what he wants God to do with the thorn in his flesh. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. See if this doesn't ring true to you and to me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Now, that could mean a literal three times, but oftentimes in this kind of writing, three times would refer to many, many times, like several times over several seasons. I asked God, I begged God, I pleaded with God to take it away from me. You ever prayed one of those kind of prayers before in your life? Not one of those sweet, fancy, nice, thanks God for this food kind of prayer. But God in heaven, take this away. Take this out of my life. Look, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. You may have been at this thing for a long time. You may be just starting out. But another thing that unites all of us, another thing we all have in common is I bet every one of us has prayed those kind of prayers before. God, I don't, I don't want you to teach me something right now. I want you to take it away. I don't want to learn a lesson. I want it gone, God. Like, what part of this aren't you getting? If you're a good God, why wouldn't you take the bad things out of my life? God, I don't, this, this lingering pain that I have from this breakup or from this divorce, God, just make it go away. This lifelong struggle that I've had with this addiction or with this habit or pattern in my life, God, just make it Go away. Why do I still have this thorn in my flesh? I'm so sick of feeling regret over what I did to him, over what I did to her, over what I did to my kids, over what I did to my family. God, would you just make this regret, just make it go away. I'm so tired of feeling weak and powerless. God, would you just take it 
away. You ever prayed one of those kind of prayers before? I bet in the dark nights of our souls, every single one of us has. God, will you just take it away? This is Paul's prayer. This has been my prayer at several different points in my life. God, I can't, I can't do it anymore. You have to take it away. You have to make it go away. I bet that's been your prayer too. Now look at what God's response is to this very honest, authentic prayer that Paul gives us that he prayed. Look what God responds with in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he, being God, God said to me, my, what? What's the word there? My grace grace is sufficient for you. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Okay, you're not getting it. I'm not asking for more. I'm asking for less. Take this away from me. God says, no, no, no. I have something that is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. If you have a pen, you're going to want to use it right now. You want to get it ready. You don't want to steal a pen out of someone else's hand because I want you to circle this. I want you to write it down on your own hand because this is some pretty important stuff that sets the Christian faith apart from so many other faith systems and structures throughout the world. This is what God says. Listen, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. My power is made perfect in your thorns in your flesh. My power is made perfect in all the imperfect, imperfect, broken down, beat up, incomplete places in your life. My power is made perfect, is put on display in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, therefore I will, what's the word? Therefore I will boast or brag. Therefore, I will brag about it. This is not a humble brag. This is a brag brag. I'm going to boast. I'm going to brag all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Now, look what Paul's doing here. I actually then am going to boast about and talk about and share openly and not try and hide and not try and cover up and not stay stuck behind my weaknesses so that Christ's power will actually rest on me. I'm going to talk about the broken places in my life because they set the stage for God's goodness, for God's power, for God's grace. I'm not going to tear pages out of my past or tear them out of my future. I'm going to open the book up and say, God, I'm going to boast about, I'm going to talk about the places where I'm incomplete because it shows that much more how complete your grace is. Verse 10, Paul goes on, that is why for Christ's sake, not for mine or by my own strength, for Christ's sake, I, what's the word? I delight in weaknesses. It's funny, no one at the 830 gave an amen to that. No one wants to say amen to delighting in weaknesses. None of us want to do that. We try and cover our weakness as much as we can. Paul says, no, I'm going to delight in it. I'm not just going to boast about it. I'm going to secretly enjoy it. Now, he sounds like a madman, but he's actually a person who's had his entire perspective, his paradigm shifted by the grace of God. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties because here it is. This is the phrase you need to underline. Here it is. For when I am weak, then I am what? 
strong. When I am weak and when I'm aware of my weakness, when I'm aware of the broken places in my life and in my story, when I am open about that, when I accept those as realities a part of life in a broken world that has been fractured by sin, when I am weak, then I'm actually strong because it's God's power, it's his grace, which is sufficient for me. And I begin to realize that all my weaknesses just become canvases for God's goodness. All my weaknesses become canvases for God's goodness, for God's grace to be put on display where there are no longer things that I try and cover up or where I stay stuck, but where I open up and say, God, what do you want to do with this? God, what can you do with this part of my story? All of my shortcomings become opportunities for God to actually show up in my life. My shortcomings, you get that? My shortcomings become opportunities for God to show up where I can say, God, I'm not gonna try and hide these things. I'm a, I got broken places. There are parts that don't make sense to me. There's parts where if I'm being really honest, God, what I want you to do is to pick up the eraser and make it go away. God, if you don't have an eraser, get your magic wand or whatever you have and just make those painful, difficult parts of my past go away. This is what we want God to do. This is what Paul asked God to do. Three times Paul says, I ask God to erase it, to make it go away. But the person who comes to grips with their weakness and sees it as their strength says, no, God, don't grab the eraser. Grab the pen. And let's write a better story together, God, about what your goodness can do to broken people, about how your grace is sufficient for all the places that feel incomplete to me. See, the more and more I receive God's grace from my past, the more I become aware of my weaknesses, my incompleteness, my, all the places where I don't add up or it doesn't quite make sense, I become aware of those and those become open invitations for God's love and God's grace and God's power to be put on display. And the more that happens, the more that grows an actual dependence in me on God. See, I become dependent on him and his power instead of my own to dig my way out, claw my way out, crawl my way out of my past. I become more dependent on God and saying, no, God, it's your grace and it's your power that actually gives purpose to my past, even the painful parts of my past. It grows a dependency on God. And I think de dependency is what differentiates disciples of Jesus from just about every other faith system in the world. Because we don't start with what we have to do. We start with what God has already done. We don't start with, okay, here's what I have to do to fix this. Here's what I have to do to make this right. Here's all that I have to do. We start with, here's what God has done, and here's what he can do, and here's what he will do in my life. It's a complete paradigm shift when it comes to how you view your past, how you engage your past, how you open up the chapters to your past. When you begin to receive God's grace for those broken and incomplete places, what you find is that grace gives your past a place in the story. Does that make sense? God's grace and acceptance and love of you gives your past a place in your story. It gives it context. It gives it purpose. It even gives it meaning. And it sets you up to live a full life with God. It's no longer just the part of the story that we skip over or stay stuck in. It gives us context for the greater story that God wants to do in our lives.
when we accept the grace that he has for the broken places in our lives. You know, accepting God's grace for my past, this is what I've learned, accepting God's grace for my past actually allows me to embrace my past. Let me say that again. You might want to write that down. Accepting God's grace for my past. When I accept that God loves even all the imperfect, broken, and ugly, and dark moments, seasons, chapters of my life, when I accept God's grace for that, that God is not just going to walk by my weaknesses, but walk to them, when I accept that God's grace is good enough for that, good enough for my past, then I'm able to actually embrace my past and say, no, it has a place in my story. I would not be who I am in God were it not for these circumstances and situations. All I wanted God to do was to erase him. But here's what he's done. He has written a better story, even out of broken things. He makes them beautiful in his time. Accepting God's grace allows me to embrace my past and not stay stuck and not skip over it any longer. You know, for, for me, a little over a dozen or so years ago, the path that I had gone in my life was I tried to just, just keep moving, keep moving from my past. And yeah, I know there was some stuff that happened. It was some stuff that was hard and some stuff I wish wouldn't have happened, but you know, it all, all works out in the end was kind of my strategy. And let's just keep moving forward. No need to look back. That's kind of the you know, house I was raised in. It's like, yeah, that stuff happened, but you know what? It's a new day. Let's move forward. But that strategy had gone as far as it could go. It was like those... Um, those inflatable kind of bungee things. Have you ever had those where you run as far as you can go? I'd gotten as far as I could go and it just began to snap me back. And I had to go back and face my past that I'd tried to just skip over and move on because I was afraid of what I might find back there. And I knew that I, I couldn't make sense of this all on my own. And so by the insistence of a couple key spiritual leaders and mentors in my life and the patient persistence of my wife, Jeannie, I went uh, to counseling. I went to Christian counseling started over about a dozen years or so ago. And I went into Christian counseling with this kind of attitude like, yeah, no, 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 I get it. Counseling is kind of for people who are really messed up. That's not me. I only need like three or four sessions and we'll be good. <laughs> Just kind of get me what I need. I think you have some answers for me. And so I'll get those and I'll go and we're good. We're totally good. That was honestly, that was my strategy as a young guy kind of coming into counseling, like just fix, help me kind of fix some of these problems and then we'll move on. And I'm so thankful that that's not how it works. I'm so thankful that that's not how it works. Because what I found over that time is when I went in with my, you know, here's my problems I want you to solve. What my counselors have done over the years, I've had three of them, I'm about to add a fourth. What each of them has done uniquely, the way that God has used them, is they've gone back into my past, into those pages that I would want to skip over and say, no, no, let's go back and pay attention. Let's pay attention to that. What was happening there? And I, you know, I'd say, well, you know, my family is, I'm sure my family has issues, but every family has issues, and we're fine. Okay. Let's pay attention to that. Well, I know I kind of struggle with these things, and yeah, I've kind of struggled with these things for a while, but everyone struggles with stuff, right? That's where we'll be fine, right? I'm, I'm so grateful, especially for the first counselor I had, that he didn't just bust out laughing at me more, get out of my naivete that all I needed was just to get fixed so I could move on. No, let's keep going deeper into there. Well, I know that this kind of broken relationship from the past, that, that just happened, and, you know, it's, it's sad, and I wish it wouldn't have happened, but it did happen, and there's nothing, I mean, like, we're fine. Friends on Facebook, what does that even matter? <laughs> like, we're good. 
no, let's go back there, let's go back there, let's go back there. And what each of these counselors has done in unique seasons of my life is masterfully gone back into the pages of my past and underlined every moment where Jesus was present. Underlined every moment where Jesus was present. Now, I know it didn't feel like he was present in this pain. Now, I know it didn't feel like when you kind of learn this, you know, coping mechanism or this habit or pattern for your life, it may not feel like he was present, but he has never, ever left you. And in fact, what he wants to do is actually write a story from there for your life, which ultimately is for his glory. And I, I know, like, maybe, I don't know what you think, you know, when I talk about counseling and what a gift it's been to my life and how I would not be the person that I am, the husband that I am, the father that I am, the pastor that I am, were it not for these counselors. And I specifically went to Christian counselors because I wanted to know that God is going to be present in the exchange and that he's going to be here. I know that maybe you've had, like, a perception about counseling where it's like, well, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like, like, that's for people who are really messed up, who are really broken or really weak. You're absolutely right. It totally is. And it's also for people who say, I'm aware of my weaknesses and brokenness. And I want actually God to write a better story than me just skipping over or staying stuck. It's been such a huge gift to my transformational process to be in the hands of a gifted counselor. Think about it for you. You, you take your money to an expert without even thinking twice about it. You entrust your finances to an expert. Your car breaks down, you take it to an expert. Your body breaks down, you get injured. Or maybe you want to get stronger or better faster, you take it to a physical therapist, you take it to a trainer. So why wouldn't you take your soul to someone who knows kind of how to help you find the truth underneath all the lies from your past? Why wouldn't you entrust the thing that matters so much more than all of those things? Ultimately into the hands of a loving God who doesn't act surprised about your past or who doesn't try and forget you because of your past or has regrets that he ever made you because of all the mistakes you've made. That's not who God is and that's not what he's created you for. That's not the story he wants to write with your life. Why wouldn't you open the pages of your past up and say, God, will you show me? And if it takes a trusted counselor, if it takes a trusted friend to walk me through this, a spiritual mentor, then God, I'm an open book because I don't want my past to sabotage this present anymore and to hijack my future. I want my past, God, to lead me into a deeper relationship with you and into a better future, God, with you. And to do so, it's not going to take an eraser. It's going to take me joining hand in hand with God and saying, God, what do you want to write from these pages? What do you want to write from these chapters, from these moments of my past that maybe I thought I could forget or maybe I've been buried under regret, but God, I hand the pen over to you and say, God, what do you want to do even with these painful and difficult moments, even with all of my if-onlys, what do you want to do, God? In his masterful book, Dan Allender writes in the book To Be Told, he writes about this beautiful metaphor that we're all invited into. Allender says that all of us are actually invited by God to grab his hand with pen in hand and to co-author our future together with him. 
to co-author your future, your story, your life with him. And that is such a beautiful invitation. But you can't just jump to the end without going back to the beginning. And so the invitation for you as you grab the hand of God with pen in hand is to say, okay, God, what do we need to go back and pay attention to? What do I need to listen to? What do I need to look for? Where do I need to find you so that your grace can be sufficient? It can be enough for me. God, if it takes the help of a trusted counselor, then God, it's worth every penny I pay. I pay for all kinds of other services in my life to service all kinds of other things that matter way less than my soul and my story. So God, whatever it's worth, I'm in. So the homework for this week is simply this. The homework for this week is to open up the pages of your past, of your story with a trusted other. Maybe there's parts of your story that you've never shared with someone else. Is there someone in your life you trust enough or someone that you can trust their skills, like a counselor to say, okay, I need to open this up. I've never dealt with this. I don't even know where to begin. Can you help me find out? Can you help me learn about these moments, these pages, these chapters from my past? so that I can write a better story with God. This week, your homework is to tell part of your story to someone you trust, to invite them in and in the process to invite God in so that you can co-author a future with him. You know, the only way that this is even possible, the only way that this could ever happen the only means by which we have the opportunity to write a better story with God is because there was something written, a new chapter written on your behalf, a page turned actually in the story of God. The story is Jesus who comes to this world. God sends his son, a very real Jesus, into our very real world. And in the past before Jesus People tried and struggled and strived to kind of make it work on their own and kind of make relationship with God sort of work on their own terms. And Jesus said, no, 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 let me, let me write a better story for you. And with pen in hand, he looked ahead to the cross and he said, I'm going to write salvation for you. I'm going to write redemption for you. I'm going to write restoration for you. I'm going to write renewal for you. I'm going to write hope for you. I'm going to write grace for you. And I'm going to sign it at the cross I'm going to sign it at the cross. That my, by my death and ultimate resurrection by God, you may actually enter into a new chapter with God, a relationship with him. And so just hours before Jesus would face the cross, he gathered his disciples together, his followers together, knowing each one of their stories and their lives, their past, and knowing specifically the future he had for each of them. And he took table elements, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, look, I want you to remember this bread is like my body. I want you to remember that I came to be with you. I physically, literally came to live among you as one of you and that my body would be broken, literally broken for you. And then he took wine and he poured it in a cup. He said, look, I want you to understand 
that my blood is about to be poured out. It's the only perfect and pure blood to ever flow through human veins, but I pour it out freely because it's the only thing that can pay the price of your sin. It's the only way that you can actually have a new chapter with God, a better story with God. So Jesus said, I want you to take these elements, this bread, to remind you that I came to be with you, and this cup, this wine, to remind you that I came to die for you. And every time you do this, be reminded, it is not because of what you have done, but because of what I have done. It's not by your power or strength, but what I'm about to do at this cross and ultimately through this grave. So we're going to take a moment and actually come to the table ourselves, as those first followers did. We're going to come to the table of Jesus with all of our weakness, with all of our brokenness, all of our incompleteness, and we walk to the table with joy because we actually can now brag and boast and delight in the incomplete things because God's grace has covered them over. Every page of your story is stained by the blood of Jesus. There's not a thing that he cannot redeem from your story. There's not a page that needs to be torn out anymore. And so we come to the table with all of who we are in gratitude for all of who he is and what he has done on our behalf for us. And so I'm going to invite you to come. There'll be stations here in the front of the room and in the back of the room. There's a station in overflow for you as well. Here in this room to the left, we have gluten-free bread. We don't want anyone to be kept from the table, but I'm going to invite you, would you come to the table aware of those broken and weak places from your past, the places you wanted God to just take away, but acknowledging that he loves you too much to just take them away. He actually wants to write a better story from them. And it can begin today. Your past can come right up to this present moment, and you can begin a new future with God right here at the table today. So I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done, you come up, tear a piece of bread off, dip it in the cup, and be reminded, delight in, boast in your weakness because it's a canvas for God's greatness today. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that his sacrifice covers over every page of our past. And it covers over this present moment. All the lies of our past that have led us to this present, it covers over them with truth and with freedom and with hope. It covers over our future, a future that we long to have with you, hand in hand, co-authoring a greater story for our lives. And so we thank you that it is your grace and it is your love that covers over us covers over me, that covers over every one of us and allows us to bring our past into this present moment so that we can have a future with you. It's in your name that we pray and come to the table.